I don't know about you, but <clears throat> if you're like me, I, I, there's times in your life where you just feel like life isn't working. Have you, ever, have you ever felt like this? Like you're just frustrated with everything. You can't seem to get anything to work right. Anybody like that? Anybody ever experienced that? It's like, what is that? And I, I, sometimes I feel like I, I was watching a little bit on social media, I saw this little guy right here, and I feel like this is kind of how it feels sometimes. You know, you're trying to do something, it seems like really simple, you get so mad, you just start yelling and screaming, and oh, you just can't, I mean, look at this, it's so funny, I mean, something simple as putting your socks on can make you so mad. Life just isn't going right, and then you're cursing and you're screaming. I know a bunch of adults who are just like this. One more time. <laughs> this is that funny. I, 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 think the, I think the little... The, the little thing on the, on the top. <laughs> Welcome to life, bro. I want to submit to you that life doesn't have to be that way. I want to submit to you that you don't have to live that way. Even though it does happen from time to time. That somehow God is involved in that. And today we're going to start a new series, and the series is called Flourish. Everybody say flourish. And the subtitle is The Life God Wants for You. The Life God Wants for You. Because we're not here to live constantly frustrated. We're not, we're not called to be consistently anxious or stressed out. We're, we're God's people, and he has called us to something more. There's more peace there's more purpose. There's more perspective that you and I are called to have. You and I are made to flourish. If you want to follow along in the message notes, I highly uh, encourage it. I think it's helpful. I think when you, uh, you can use the QR code on the, on the seat back in front of you. Um, but I think when you listen and you maybe make some notes and you follow along, I think it's really helpful. We're gonna begin in Psalm 92. It's a beautiful picture. Psalm 92, verse 12 through 15, it says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age, they will stay fresh and green, hallelujah. Proclaiming the Lord is upright, he is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. In this series, I, I want us to unpack what it looks like to understand biblical flourishing. And we'll ask some you know, simple questions, you know, easy questions like what's the meaning of life? We will, we will ask, how do we step into the life that God has desired for us since the very beginning? And so, in order to answer that, we go all the way back to the beginning and start off with this question, like, why do we exist? You've got to go all the way back to the Genesis story. Genesis 1, chapter 26 through 28 says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Why did God make humanity? Well, at least part of the answer, he made us to rule. You were made to rule. You and I were made to rule over all of the surrounding creation. In Hebrew, in the original language, it's even more clear. The text can be translated, God made humans in order to rule. You and I were created to rule over the earth. And that's part of the meaning, part of the purpose, part of the role that it's of why we exist. And this language of ruling, I, I, I get it. It sounds, a little, it sounds a little weird. Like, for most of us, we're not used to that kind of language. I doubt the last time your boss came in and said, uh, how you doing? You said, well, I'm just ruling over my email. You know, you, we, just don't, we just don't think this way. But there's an intriguing and seamless connection between image being made in the image of God and ruling over creation. And it's explicit in the text as you read it. The word rule is radah. Everybody say it, radah. And, it's, and it's, it's in Hebrew, it can be translated to reign or to have dominion. And that's kingdom language. Kingdom language. The brilliant theologian Tim Keller he translated it this way. He said, to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. That's a seriously great way to, to put it. The idea is a shared heartbeat with what we say at One Chapel all the time, where we have this, this phrase that we use, we help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. And so from the beginning of human history, God has been looking for partners. Everybody say partners. This is, this is what we're called to. The imagery of humanity's relationship to God is not of puppets or of robots, but partners. God's representatives on earth, kings and queens ruling over his good world to be fruitful and to multiply. I'm doing my part with five kids. But it's, but, it's but it's illustrative of something more. This idea of fruitfulness, this idea of being, of cultivating a flourishing life. Fruitfulness actually means cultivation, stewardship, partnership with God to reproduce to reproduce, think about this, God made us in his image to reproduce his goodness, his nature, his influence. That's, that's what his original design is all about. His original design was rulership based on relationship, based on connection to him, based on being made in his image, carrying his nature into the world. God wants you to flourish because it reflects him. God wants you to flourish and rule. He wants his ways to rule through your life in every area of our lives. God designed you and I 
to flourish. And while there, there are many definitions of this word flourish out there, so I wanna make it clear, we're not talking about a strictly psychological point of view or even a culturally popular uh, perspective on what flourishing is because for many, flourishing is a concept defined by what they want. Like I see life as I want it and I, I, I choose it for myself, not what God wants for me in my life. And here's the rub. I mean, human flourishing was always God's idea. It was always God's idea since the beginning. But often, we take God's concepts and we start using them on our own terms. We start defining them differently than he defines them. This is exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. We begin to define it for ourselves and what they did, they defined what is good and evil for themselves. They stopped listening to God and his desire for them and they decided to grab a hold of life on their terms and on the knowledge they had. They tried to control their destiny and just like us, Very often, we decide what it looks like to flourish apart from God. And that's a problem. And it's nothing new, is my point. We're the same today as they were in the the book of Genesis. You can read all about it in Genesis 3. Human history, as a result of all this, is full of war, violence, famine, suffering, wickedness, and even death. But Jesus shows up one day in God's great plan in human history and he shows up and he wants to restore human flourishing again. He wants to restore what God originally intended. That's why Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Check that out. Check that phrase out. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And as long as you don't take that definition and and define it for yourself, but you define it as he defines it, then everything works. Another translation says life abundantly. Another says life to the full, life that flourishes. Here's how the Apostle Paul, or sorry, Apostle Peter He describes our partnership with God in his letter, 2 Peter 1, 3. He says, check this out. This is amazing. This is an amazing passage. His divine power has given us a little bit to try to work with life because it's really hard. No, that's not what he says. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Think of this. Everything you need for life and godliness, God's provided for you. But he does it by allowing you and me. Now listen, check this out to participate in the divine nature, his nature, functioning, living within us. And he's given us great and precious promises about how life works, about how life should flourish with us. And this, is, this language that Peter's using is 
partnership language. It's fulfillment language. It's flourishing language. Because God designed you and me to flourish mentally and emotionally. He designed you and me to flourish occupationally and recreationally. He, defined, he designed you and me to flourish spiritually, relationally, and even sexually. He wants you to flourish. Whoa, did he just say that? We're gonna cover some of these unique areas where God has called us to flourish. We're gonna define what that flourishing looks like. Come back next week, it'll be spicy. It'll, you'll, it'll be good. <laughs> next week we start into it. And so I believe, here's, here's what I really believe, One Chapel. I think we're in a season where God wants to bring revelation to us about what this looks like. Kingdom revelation of what ruling and what this relational flourishing looks like with God. And that's what this series is about. And that's also, I mean, that's also why we're having something like the one day retreat. I want all of you that can to come to the one day retreat. I think every year, all God's people should set aside time and a place to seek him, to address things in our lives that we don't talk about the rest of the year, to work through some stuff that where God is renewing you and restarting you, he's refreshing you. I think a bunch of us need to get back to partnering with God and not doing it on our own. A lot of us have big sections of our lives that we end up segmenting and leaving isolated from him and his influence. You're trying to manage those areas of your life on your own. And, and, it's, and it's a problem without his influence and without his collaboration. And so you're not flourishing, you're not fulfilled, you're not fruitful in your life. The one day retreat is about healing some of your wounded yesterdays and dealing with your past. It's about uh, softening the soil of your heart that's kind of grown hard over the last season and allowing God to plant his seeds of life hopes, dreams back into you so you can truly flourish. This is what Jesus describes in John 15. Listen, now I want you to listen closely to Jesus' words. John 15 is a famous passage. Verse one says, I am the true grape vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Read those last words again. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is teaching disciples how to integrate his life with their life. And this is the challenge for all of us. He says remaining or abiding or connecting to Christ, him as the source. He's talking about being fruitful and flourishing in life with God's purpose flowing through you. And anything, now check this out, anything that's not flourishing and producing, anything that's not producing spiritual fruit, not connected to Jesus, he wants to get rid of it. That's kind of shocking. 
How many things in your life are not producing good fruit with Jesus? How many things that we get into that just aren't fruitful? They're, they're don't, they don't create flourishing. And so I think realizing that God has a plan and a purpose and he has a, a way in which he wants us to flourish. And Jesus says that any branch that doesn't bear the fruitfulness of God's desires, God prunes it. If, even if you do bear some fruit, you know what God's gonna do? He's gonna prune you because he wants to make you even more fruitful with his desires. And so <laughs> either way, there's some cutting. So just, just give in to it. You just realize, you just, you, sometimes you don't realize how good that is for us. And so, and so yeah, it's, it, sometimes it, it hurts a little bit, but it's good for you. So now for the rest of our short time together, I wanna talk about, I wanna talk about flourishing in your mind and your emotions. Everybody say mind and emotions. Mind and emotions. Jesus wants us to flourish mentally and emotionally. Now. We do not have time to cover this topic in its entirety. We're gonna, we're gonna drill down a little bit and we're gonna talk a little bit about mental and emotional health. And I wanna identify for you the two great enemies of mental and emotional health, I believe, in our culture. And I wanna talk briefly about God's word and how we can flourish uh, in, a, in, a, in our mental capacity, our emotional consistency. The two most common enemies of mental and emotional health are, you could guess them, anxiety and stress. Anxiety and stress. Sure, you have things like fear, you know, and some other, you know, you, you've got these other things, but, but fear, if you, if you think about fear, fear can be actually good for you. <laughs> like, you shouldn't... Fear sometimes comes, uh, you know, if, if a bear runs up at you in Yosemite uh, National Park and, uh, and you, you realize, I, I, I got to get away from here because I, I, I I, I'm going to get attacked. That's a good fear, right? Um, it didn't happen to us, by the way, but we told lots of stories about it while we were there. And so, so, so fear kind of screams, get out, really, you know, but anxiety always asks, what if? The, the great author, Max Lucado, he, he described it as a waterfall of what-ifs when anxiety takes over. And we start thinking about what if. We played it all out. There's PTSD that people have from really difficult trauma, depression, abuse. They're all very damaging, and, and they are rampant in our society. All you got to do is look around. But here's the thing. Our lives get fragmented by anxiety and stress, and you can, you can see it everywhere. There's the social media influence that kind of creates some isolation. You've got comparison happening where people just feel unworthy. You've got unrealistic expectations out there for yourself or for others. You've got career pressures. You've got the politics of our day and the division out there it's all out there trying to control your mind and your emotions and for most of us we're susceptible to a constant state of low-grade anxiety and stress and I want to suggest to you that you don't have to live that way you don't have to be like that little kid that's so mad at his socks Because we weren't designed to live that way. Listen to how Dr. Luke 
quotes Jesus in Luke 21, 34. He says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. The well-known pastor Craig Groeschel writes in his book, Winning the War in Your Mind. He says, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we think shapes who we are. I highly recommend this book, by the way, Winning the War in Your Mind. But you can change your mind. You can win the war. Paul said this to his young son in the faith, Timothy, he's in 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Stress has similar implications, right? What is the source of your stress? Well, I think if we, if we look at it, some of you are like, it's my spouse who's sitting next to me right now. Or it's my kids. Or it's my job. Or it's, but but I, I want to give you a, maybe a definition of stress that maybe you haven't thought of. If you think about it, stress comes from trying to do too much in too little of a space. And you can't get it done. It's trying to cram too many things into the space that's too small for it. It's kind of like a rule of physics. You know, too much weight on a structure causes stress on the structure. And so the weight is bearing down and the structure's starting to stress. And finally it can break. We become fractured, fragmented in the way we live. We try to control our way out of these things and it doesn't work. We compartmentalize different areas of our lives and we end up isolating. This causes so much internal conflict because we can't get what we want out of it. Too, too much thinking about what I could accomplish if only I had this and we sh shove all this stuff in our lives and our schedules and it's really tough to deal with. And the truth is we're all dealing with it. I, and I want to be careful and, and, and I want to be compassionate here in this talking about these things because there's people in the room who are really suffering from anxiety or stress or some of these other things, depression, um, PTSD, there's trauma that we're, we've all experienced. And I don't want to oversimplify this morning. I don't, but I, I do want to highlight what I believe are the very basic and un, undeniable, indispensable parts of our faith, the, the part of our lives that we must grab a hold of to flourish mentally and emotionally. You know, most of you realize I was gone on sabbatical this summer. If you didn't, God bless you. I'm so glad you've decided to come back to church. I was, gone, I was gone for eight weeks, and God did something really cool in my life in those eight weeks. It took me about four weeks to peel back all the layers of my routine. And what I realized was I didn't have anything to do. Nobody was calling me. I didn't have any responsibilities at, at, at work to try to follow up and make sure things were happening. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have contact with the staff, really. I was, and so I, was, I, I didn't have any responsibility. Nothing, nothing was being demanded or asked of me. And I still felt like I needed to accomplish, get something. I was behind. I, I still had all these feelings of anxiety and stress. I was like, where is this coming from? 
And as I prayed about it, and of course, this is what sabbatical is for, for a pastor. I got down, way down deep, stripping back the layers, and way down on the bottom of my soul were about three things that I realized were driving me. I didn't even, I, you, I didn't even really realize it because you're, you're just going, you're just doing, right? But these three things were disappointment, hurts, and fear. Fear that nothing would work. Fear that I'd get hurt again. Fear that disappointment may be the rest of my life. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but when things happen that are, seem out of your control and you, 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 people disappoint you, what I, know, what I realized was way down here on the bottom, everything, I'd poured out everything to God, I didn't have anything left, and way down on the inside was a bunch of gunk. And you get down to the gunk, and then, and then Jesus was like, you gotta give me those things. And what I realized, and here's the, real, here's the realization for me, I was being driven by the emotional component of those three things. The emotions of those three things were driving decision-making. The emotion of these things were, were kind of a driving force as I navigated different things in the church or in my life. And what I realized is I, and what God showed me is I can't be driven by my soul or by my emotions. And of course, you, you all know you can't be driven by your fears, but sometimes we are and we don't even realize it. We're making decisions and we're being driven by this emotional quotient in our lives from hurts and disappointments. And, and listen, I, as your pastor, I'm, this, <laughs> this is a, an honest thing here. Uh, you know, I'm, I like to say pastors are people too and I'm neurotic a little bit, like I'm an overthinker and then sadly I'm a, I'm a what? I'm a feeler. I'm a feeler and so I feel things very deeply and I'm, then I have those perfectionist tendencies and I am a mess. <laughs> but Jesus gets involved in that mess and he does things to help you flourish not because you're so good but because he's so good. And I, I think we have to get more in touch with that. And, and so Amy and I, we, we had long talks about this, and we were, we were on this cruise during the, during the thing. Some friends of ours got together and sent us on a cruise during the sabbatical, and we were, we were in the Mediterranean, and we were pulling out of a port near Crete. And Crete is this island. It's a biblical place. It's cool. And we, we were talking about it, and Crete's going along. We're, we're out talking about it on the deck, and, and, and we said, let's... Let's just leave all our crap in Crete. <laughs> We're just going to leave all our crap in Crete. Sorry for Crete. But, but we, now, so since we've been back, we've been tested many times on all that stuff. <laughs> I personally, for sure. And, and it's like, Amy and I will look at each other and go, we left our crap in Crete. We're not taking it. We're not taking it with us. And I think you've got to do things like this. You have to have mile markers in your life. That's what the one-day retreat is. It's a mile marker. You, there can be a moment where you do something and you say, oh, I left it there. And so uh, human flourishing, biblical flourishing, is centered around Jesus. Now, every, 
Every doctor and psychologist will tell you that exercise and sunshine and hobbies, learning new things, stimulating your mind, even meaningful and purposeful work are good things that will help your mental health and your emotional equilibrium to, to steady. But I want to offer you some thoughts on biblical flourishing, and I want to use the example of the human, the only human who was the first since Adam was created to truly thrive and flourish as God intended at the beginning. Yes, I'm talking about Jesus. We need to follow the pattern of Jesus, and I was thinking about this. Jesus does about four things that kind of define his life, and I think those four things will help you in your mental and emotional health, and I wanna identify them for you. Here they are. Pray always, love the scriptures, belong to a small group, and serve others in need. Now. Let, let me unpack it. Can you go with me? Okay. I don't know if we're going to make it to the end here, but we're going to try to unpack each of these. Pray always. Philippians 4, 6 through 8, Apostle Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. What? That doesn't seem right. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace, everybody say peace. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You can't quite figure it out. It's a mystery. Whatever, he says, he says, this peace transcends all understanding and will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will do something to your heart. It will do something to your mind. It will change the way you think and change the way you feel. And then verse eight says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. You know what, you know what the problem is? You can't think about those things and watch cable news. You can't think about those things and watch movies most of the time. There's a few, very few. Really, it's a ratio. What we're talking about here is how much do you put junk into your life and how much do you put good things? How much do you use your mind for thinking about these ideas? Pure, noble, right, true, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. The, Paul says here, if you want to deal with anxiety, you got to pray. You got, you got to talk to God about everything. 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 We're not talking about praying before you go to bed. Now lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake. Oh, what a terrible prayer. Here, here's the thing. You, here's the thing you've got to get through in your own heart and mind is that God is the source of peace for your life. I run into many good church-going Christians who don't have a conversational prayer life with God. They have more of an emergency prayer life with God, a crisis prayer life with God. They toss up a prayer every once in a while when something's happening. People come into my office and their, their lives are a wreck and they're losing their marriage or they're really gotten caught in all kinds of stuff. And, and my first question is, well, how's your life with God? 
Explain that to me. Listen, we're living too much between our ears. You live, if you live out of your brain, you will be tormented all your life. Listen, I'm not saying don't use your brain. I'm not saying don't be smart. I'm not saying don't study. Yes, you need to study. You need to use this brain. But here's the thing that keeps your brain from causing anxiety in your life. Talk to God about everything. Talk to God about it. And don't just think your prayers. The battlefield is in the mind. You've got to get past that, and you've got to say your prayers out loud. I like to say, get your mind and your mouth going in the same direction. That's prayer. The amazing author Max Licato, said it this way, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable. I mean, stuff happens in our lives. But the prison of anxiety is optional. And we got to thank God in every circumstance, not for everything, because that would be weird, but in everything we can thank God because we know he wants us to flourish and he's pruning us or shaping us or molding us or leading us with his peace. Number two, you got to love the scriptures. We got to love scriptures. Jesus loved the scriptures. Jesus had major portions of the scriptures memorized because he was a good Jewish boy. He had a, a lot of the Torah memorized and it gave him perspective. If prayer brings peace, then the scriptures bring perspective. Flourishing requires having God's perspective in your life. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of, check this out, soul and, what does it say? Soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. God's word actually helps you evaluate the difference between what is soulish and what is spiritual. God's words in the scripture and his voice, by the way, speaking to you into your life helps you determine what is emotional and stressful versus what is spiritual and necessary. He's like, it's, it's like the God, God's word is like a sharp scalpel. That's a fun word. Scalpel that God uses to surgically differentiate what's going on in your life. And it's essential for getting a clear perspective. The Bible is a recorded history of God interacting with humanity. And there are hundreds of biblical characters that have gone through what you're going through now. And you can see it. You can witness it. And those characters give you perspective. The daily discipline of reading scripture. Have you ever heard of it? It's... it's Here's the deal, when you, start the, when you start the day with the scriptures, your day looks different. When you end the day with the scriptures, before you put your head on that pillow, it makes your sleep different. I know, I know. You're lo- thinking, you're looking at me and you're like, Pastor Ross, I know all this stuff. Well, yeah, but sometimes we start to think, and especially in our anxious times, especially in our culture that wants to point at lots of different things, that will take us, it'll take us beyond the basics, is what I would say. And say, well, if you have anxiety, you gotta do this. No, these are the basics. These are the building blocks of dealing with anxiety and dealing with the, um, the emotions that are out of control in your life. Number three, are you, are, we're gonna make it. We're gonna make it, the band's here. Number three. You gotta belong to a small group. You you gotta belong to a group of people. A place where you are known and loved. 
I like to say where you are fully, know, sorry, fully known and truly loved. Fully known and truly loved, and I like to say anyway. Because if they fully know you, then they're going to see the warts and all the stuff. Okay, but you've got to prioritize that kind of thing. And if there's anything that is the hardest to do in our culture, it's not pray, it's not read your Bible, it's belonging to a group of people that know you intimately. It's the hardest thing in our culture. People are starving for it. They need it. They know they need it. They know they want it, and they don't know how to get it. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Meeting together here in this passage is not church. What this is, is meeting together consistently and sharing life together with people where love where your love begins to be the theme, where you spur and encourage and challenge one another toward love and the good deeds that God has called you to, called all of us to. Now, here's the problem. Prioritizing is the problem, right? If stress is about fitting too many things into a small space, no wonder you're so stressed out. I just can't, oh man, Pastor Ross, he wants me to do everything, jeez. Doesn't he know I'm busy? Yes, I know you're busy. You know what that means? You've got to prioritize. Jesus said, famous verse, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And what does he say? All these things will be what? Given, added, one translation says. You've heard me say it many times. When you order things, when you prioritize things, God creates more capacity. So not only, not only do you, not only do, when you prioritize these things, not only do you start to reap the benefits of the prioritization, right? Are you still with me? Not only do you reap the benefits of the prioritization, but your capacity begins to expand because only God can give you more when you prioritize Him. The problem for most of us is we're just like, I, I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to get this to happen. I got to make this. And then, we, and then we're overwhelmed and we're stressed out and then we start to crack. Jesus says, if you'll seek me first, my kingdom first, I'll add everything you need. Now, what's, what's, what's the problem? Uh, it requires taking inventory of your life every season. I think every season, every new season, you gotta sit down with your spouse, sit down with your family, and you gotta say, okay, what am I gonna do? What are, what are, we, gonna, what are we gonna prioritize this season? And you gotta make tough decisions. Everybody say tough decisions. Finally, the fourth thing is serve people in need. Serve others in need. Jesus did this all the time. He prayed. He would disappear for a long time. He loved the scriptures. He was always part of a small group. He was always part of a relationally intimate group of people. They were called his disciples. If you want to learn how to be a disciple, you've got to get with a small group of relationally intimate people where you're walking together, practicing the ways of Jesus. That's the only way it works. Serving others in need speaks to our purpose. If you want to deal with anxiety and stress, you've got to settle your purpose. Matthew 20, verse 26 says, whoever wants to become great among you, Jesus said, must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of the most significant ideas that contributes to mental and emotional health is finding a way to be significant and have meaning. 
and have purpose. If all the arrows in your life are pointed in, if everything is about what you can consume and what you can get and what you can do for yourself, you will suffer from anxiety and stress. There is something that God does in the human heart. It, you, you begin to flourish in a way that you don't understand when you operate like Jesus in an upside-down kingdom. It doesn't really make sense. It's upside-down. But when you start to serve and you start to love people and you start to operate helping people in need, identifying them, something happens to your heart. And even people who don't know Jesus, when they start serving another, they tap into this God-designed universal way that, that flourishing is meant to happen. But listen, you're God's people. We're God's people. We have to flourish like this. We find meaning by realizing what really matters. What really matters. Here's the three things that matter, ready? God matters. People matter. Eternity matters. Stop thinking about the here and now all the time. Stop, stop, stop letting everything kind of drive you because you're worried about you. Turn your gaze outward and begin to operate like Jesus and wherever you see needs, you take care of them. It's a powerful force because you can start flourishing with peace. You start flourishing with perspective. You start flourishing in your priorities. You start flourishing with purpose. I want you just to open up your hands like this and we're gonna to worship to God together. Father, would you speak to us now? Speak to us about the areas of our life, what we need to wrestle and change. Speak to us. We repent, we wanna be open. Somehow we, we, we resist sometimes these ideas, they seem maybe so basic, but Lord, would you reveal what needs to change in each of our lives? Have your way in this moment. Have your way in this place. We make room for you. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship together.